So have you ever tried to uh, help God out? Some of you are laughing, but you think back to how that went, you realize that it was It's one of those things where you say to, if you're with somebody, you say, someday we'll laugh about this, but not right now. And it may be that you're, you had a situation where you tried to help God out and you're not laughing about it even to this day because it's so hurtful and painful. That's what we're going to look at because what I found is when I try to help God out, it usually doesn't work out well for me or for the people around me. The passage we're going to look at, Paul once again is going to go back to Abraham. He's going to go back to the Old Testament. Again, one of the reasons why we encourage you to read through the Bible. And if you, if you say, well, I haven't ever read any of the Old Testament, or I haven't read very little of the Old Testament, if I could get you to read one book in the Old Testament, it would be the book of Genesis. Because so many of the, uh, the information that you'll need in the New Testament to understand what's going on is from the book of you know, Genesis. In fact, uh, the passage we're going to look at today is going to refer to the life of Abraham, uh, Sarah, his wife, and Hagar, the, the slave uh, uh, servant of, uh, uh, of uh, Sarah. And if, if you understand that, you'll understand a little bit of the analogy that, that Paul is making if you know that story. If you don't understand that, it makes it a much diff- more difficult uh, so that's uh, where we're going to be this uh, this uh, morning. The Jewish, uh, what's going on in the book of uh, Galatians is this. Essentially, Paul went there and uh, spread the gospel. And they they responded to the gospel. The Greeks responded to the, to the gospel. And then uh, a party from Jerusalem came saying that they were sent by James, the brother of Jesus, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And they, they basically were adding to the gospel. They were changing the gospel. And Paul basically said, whenever you add to the gospel, you lose the gospel. It's Jesus plus anything is nothing. And so they basically were saying, the false teachers were saying, number one, you believe in Jesus. Number two, you obey the law. And the result is, number three, you will be saved. So they were adding one, two, three. One, you believe. Two, you you follow the law. Three, you uh, are saved. Paul basically said, no, no, no. Number one, you believe in Jesus. Number two, you are saved. And number three, as a result of being saved, you will, work, you will follow the law. You will obey. It will just be part of your new DNA. So uh, the false teachers are saying belief and obedience go together, resulting in salvation. They were saying belief and obedience go together, resulting in salvation. Paul was saying, no, belief and salvation go together, and they result in obedience. Belief and salvation go together, resulting in obedience. I just want to say to you, if there's one concept of the gospel that is totally misunderstood in this community and across America and around the world, it is this one right here. Absolutely. Completely. And it's, it's not just a minor issue. Paul basically went so far to say in chapter 1, if anyone preaches a gospel other than the one that I'm preaching, the gospel that says belief and salvation go together and it results in, and it's Jesus plus nothing. If anybody preaches another gospel, let him be anathema. Anathema essentially means damned to hell. And then he says it again. In case you didn't hear me the first time, let me repeat myself. So this is, you know, Paul basically saying this is an essential doctrine of the church. So we want to look at this passage. It's Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 21. We're going to read through verse 31 through the end of the chapter. So Galatians uh, 4.21, it's on page 893 of the chair Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the chair in front of you and you can follow along with me. 
Now, before I read this passage, let me just, let me just uh, prep you, okay? When I was getting ready to study for this passage, and I uh, was well aware of it, this is a difficult passage. But as I, you know, they have commentaries. Pastors use commentaries, and I have a number of commentaries, and sometimes it helps to get some ideas and, and hear other people's view of what's going on in the text. But, but one or two of the commentaries said the same thing. This may be the most difficult passage in the book of, of Galatians to understand. So are you ready? <laughs> Buckle up. Here we go. Galatians 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? Essentially what Paul's doing here is he's saying, do you really want to follow the law? Do you know what the law says? Really? You know, that's essentially what he's saying. And he says this, The Scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of his slave wife was born in human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn woman was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women, women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai where people received the law that enslaved them. Now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the the other woman, Sarah, represents the, uh, the, the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother, as Isaiah said. Rejoice, O Childless woman, you who have never given birth, break into joyful shout, a joyful shout. You who have never been in labor, for a de- the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise just at like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep you, keep the law, you to keep the law. Just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the Scriptures say? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with a free woman. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. So, Paul is using allegory or typology here. And he's essentially... And and, and typology or allegory is basically taking something that... You, you know to illustrate something, another principle. And we do that all the time. And essentially, he's answering the question, he's answering the question, what does it mean to be the child of Abraham? Now, we would say in, in our day, today, right now, we'd say, well, I don't really know what that means for me. It doesn't really seem too significant. And essentially, what we have to think of when we hear child of Abraham is a follower of Christ, a Christian. A person who's been regenerated, a person who's been saved. Uh, so essentially, think of it. That's the essentially what he means when he says a child of Abraham. Now, in in Jesus' day, there was a lot of pride among Jewish people to be sons and daughters of Abraham, to be children of Abraham. This was a big thing. In fact, at one point in Jesus' ministry, uh, they said they, Jesus was uh, teaching, and they said, you, you know, do you know who we are? We're children of Abraham. You know, they're kind of bragging on their heritage and their lineage. And Jesus says God could raise up stones and make them into children of Abraham. In other words, they were bragging on something that Jesus says, well, that's nice, but you're not getting the point. 
Because Jesus is going to say, in this passage, you're going to say, you know, you can have a physical descendancy that you can trace back to Abraham. But if you don't love God, and if you reject the Messiah, where does that leave you? So what he's going to say is he's going to say there's another kind of, uh, of connection that you can have with Abraham, and it's a spiritual connection. And he's going to talk about the two wives that Abraham had, one with Hagar, the slave woman, and one with his wife, Sarah, the free woman. And he's going to say, you know, you can, you can call Abraham your father, but who's your mother? Who, who do you find your connection to? And it really describes two approaches that we have and how we get to God and how we try to get to God. That's essentially what he's going to say here. So Paul is using this kind of an allegory, the symbolism. And, and he says basically that Abraham has two sons. And the two sons are, by the way, if you're taking notes, if you go to Genesis chapter 16 through Genesis chapter 21, you'll read about all of this that we're talking about, because that's what he's doing. He's referring back to the book of Genesis and the life of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and their children, Isaac and Ishmael. Okay, so Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. They were born of two mothers, Hagar and Sarah. They represent two covenants, the Mosaic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant and two Jerusalems, an earthly Jerusalem and a heavenly Jerusalem. So this is all through this text. There's so much theology and there's so much stuff that, you know, you could spend one message or one, you know, a series of messages on one of these things. And essentially what he's saying is he's saying there's two sons, there's two, there's, there's two mothers, there's two Jerusalems, there's two covenants. Now, we talked about the covenants. And remember what we said a couple of weeks ago? We said a covenant is really an agreement between two parties. And essentially, the two covenants that he's referring to is the Mosaic Covenant, which we know as the law, the Ten Commandments, and the following the law, right? So the Ten Commandments is the Mosaic Covenant. And he's saying that's one of the covenants. And then there's the other covenant. We talked about this a few weeks ago, the Abrahamic Covenant. And that was the covenant of promise. That was where God goes to... to um, uh, he comes to Abraham in Genesis 12, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. And all the nations of the, uh, of the world will be blessed through you, through your descendant. Okay? Uh, and uh, so, so he makes this promise, this covenant of promise to Abraham. And uh, so he's contrasting the covenant of promise, with, and we did that a few weeks ago, as I said. So <clears throat> Hagar is the slave woman. She stands for the old covenant. And her son Ishmael symbolizes the Jews of the earthly Jerusalem. Sarah is the free woman who stands for the new covenant. Um, And her son Isaac symbolizes the believers of the heavenly Jerusalem. So the Jews of Paul's day were called, they were proud to call themselves Jews. And essentially what Paul is trying to say through this whole chapter, through this whole part that we're reading is this. He's saying the true children of Abraham. Remember what I said about true children of Abraham. What we, what we need to think about then when we think of true children of Abraham are those, in, the, in Jesus' day, it would have been those who had accepted Jesus as Messiah. They were the true children. Not the ones who said, well, I can trace my lineage back to Abraham, right? And so he's, he's saying the true children of Abraham trace their lineage spiritually, not biologically. They trace their lineage 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 spiritually not biologically okay so he talks about two sons and two covenants um notice uh so god makes this promise in genesis 12 to abraham and he says i'm going to make you a great nation i'm going to bless those that bless you 
Now, the, the problem Abraham's having at this point is the great nation because he has no children. He has no heirs, okay? And so in Genesis 15, it says this. This is on page 12 of your chair Bible, and it says this. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram. Whenever you see Abram, it's referring to the same man, Abraham. Abram, Abraham. Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, notice what his reply is. O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? So Abraham's got a problem here. He says, God, you made this problem, but and I'm still waiting. I have no son. Sarah, has, we have no children. Right? And he goes on to say, since you've given me no children, uh, so one of my servants will be my heir. And then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abraham outside and said, Look up in the sky, count the stars stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. That last phrase, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. You should underline that. That's all through the New Testament. And essentially what, what the, the New Testament writers say, Abraham believed God before the law was even given. He was, he was considered righteous because he trusted God before the law came. In other words, it was by grace. It wasn't by works. Now, God reaffirms his promise of Genesis 12 to Abraham. And so um, he and his wife, Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, waited and waited and waited for a child. And they didn't get a child. So they're wondering, okay, when, when is this going to happen? So Sarah is really old and Abraham is really old. And so Sarah finally says to Abraham, here's what we need to do. This is where we get into trouble. We should help God out. I got an idea. Why don't you sleep with Hagar, my slave woman who helps me, and you can have a child with her and... This child with her and her children will be the children of the promise. That, and we'll help God out. I mean, come on. I'm not going to have a child. I'm older than sin, right? And it's not going to happen. And so she says, you just sleep. And, and of course, Abraham says, okay. You know, it's like, whatever. Uh, so let's read about how that went down in Genesis chapter 16. Now, again, Sarai, it, it is basically, you know, her name gets changed. Abraham's get, names get changed into Sarah and Abraham. Okay, so I'm just going to read it out. Sarah and Abraham's wife, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And the idea there is this was commonplace behavior in that day. This is just business as usual in that day. Everyone did it. And so the child of the slave woman would become legally Abraham and Sarah's child. Okay, And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. Now, as I said before, in that day it was common practice uh, to have children with the servant, of the, uh, the servant of the wife. And the child of the servant woman was legally the child of the wife. Now, let's stop here for a minute because for some of you, I just read this and you're hearing this maybe for the first time and you're going, 
I don't, I don't think that's right. I don't like that. I don't think he should be sleeping around with other women. Even if his wife suggests it, I don't care what the practice was in that day. This is wrong. Absolutely. But you know what? Here's what Scripture's doing here. It's just telling you what happened. It's not commenting on it. It's not, he's just, just describing. It's not saying, okay, this was wrong. I wish at this point, there's, there's a number of times as I read the Old Testament that I wish that there was an editorial comment. And, so, and, and all of a sudden, the writer would have said, just for your information, God was not happy with this. God was angry. This was not God's plan. This, this was not the right thing to do. They shouldn't have done this. But it doesn't do that. And so when you read through it, you go, is this okay or not? You know, why don't they condemn? And the answer is because in narrative, in narrative literature like this where they're just telling what happened and how it came down, they're not commenting on the morality or the right or wrongness of it. I wish they would more, but they don't. So what's going on though, and what we're clearly seeing here, is Abraham is trying to get his family through human effort. God said in Genesis 12, I'm going to give you children. Abraham says, well, we've waited and we don't have any. We're not getting any younger. It's not looking any better. We better do something. And so they jump at the chance to help God out. Now, it's interesting too because... One of the reasons that I think God waited so long to give Abraham and Sarah children was the same reason that Jesus waited so long before he went to the tomb of Lazarus, his buddy. He said, Lazarus is dead. Yeah, okay, well, let's wait a few days. You know, and uh, so they waited a few days and got there. And, uh, you know, Jesus said, uh, they, you know, the sisters came out. And she says, well, if you had been here, he might not have died and you, you could have saved him and he didn't say anything. And essentially, um, the reason that Jesus waited so many days to visit Lazarus was he wanted to make sure he was really dead. That's why when you read the Gospel of John, one of the sisters says, Lord, don't open the, the, the stone. He stinketh. I mean, old King James, he stinketh, you know, which literally, I mean, in our English means he really smells bad. Um, so he says, don't do that. And the point is he's decomposing here. But Jesus says, yeah, that's why I waited. I needed him to be dead and start to decompose so you would understand this is a miracle. This is something that only God can do. The same reason I think he's waiting on Sarah, and it says that in the Genesis text over and over, and Sarah was really old, and Abraham was really old, and God gave them a child. And let's read where that happens. Genesis 21, verse 1. I love how the first phrase goes in verse 1. The Lord kept His Word. By the way, can I just say this? The Lord always keeps His Word. When He makes a promise, He keeps it. You, you live with people who make promises all the time. With companies that make promises all the time. With, with bosses. With uh, people that make promises all around you all the time. And you never keep them. And I love that God kept His Word. He always does. God kept His Word and did, it, did for Sarah exactly what He promised. Not just, he, he, he fulfilled, He more than fulfilled His promise. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Abraham. Notice in his old age, this happened just at the, at just the time that God said it would. And Abraham named him Isaac. By the way, 
the current division that we have between the Jewish people and the, the uh, um, Arab people goes way back to this. Right here it is. So <laughs> the decision to try to help God out really did not really work really well because those two houses are still fighting to this day. And there's a, there's a lot of pain between those those two brothers. And uh, interestingly enough, um, the uh, many Arabs believe, many Muslims believe, that the son of promise is not Isaac, it's, it's Ishmael. And that when Abraham went to offer his son, when God said, offer your son to me on the altar, that uh, God didn't take Isaac, he took Ishmael. And Ishmael is the son of promise. It's just interesting how they interpret that. Um, so the question is, what does all of this mean? Now let's come back to Galatians. What does this mean to the Galatians? What, is it, what are the two mothers, the two sons, the two covenants, the two Jerusalems? Um, what do they represent? And it's simply this, they represent this. What Paul is saying, there are two ways that you can approach God. There are two ways to approach God. That's essentially what Paul's saying in this passage. He's saying that you can either approach God through the promise, through uh, Isaac, through Sarah, through the mother of promise, through the son of promise, which is, well, how does it come? What did Abraham and Sarah do to manufacture this? Nothing. God said, you will have a son. It's beyond your, your control. It's be, it's not, it has nothing to do with your control. It has everything to do with my promise. And God gave Sarah a son, Isaac. And basically, he says, and that's the way I give salvation. It's a gift. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's just I said, I'll do it, and I did it. And so you can approach God that way. And God promised Abraham many children. Uh, his prom, he promised a son, uh, he pro- and, and Abraham did nothing to deserve this. He didn't earn it. It was all on God, and God promised and God delivered. And so the question is, will you come to God and say, God, I have nothing to offer you. I'm absolutely helpless and hopeless. And unless you come through with the promise of salvation for me, I am dead. I'm done. Or, so that's one approach. One approach is that you understand that it's promise. It's not through the law. It's through the promise. And that's all on God which the birth of the son and having multiple children and having as many stars as this was all on God. And essentially the promise came to Abraham and Sarah and they did nothing to earn it. They did nothing to deserve it. It was just God saying, this will happen and it happened. The other way to approach God is that you seek to blaze your own trail. And God said, you will have a son. Just wait and see. And Abraham and Sarah basically said, we've waited and we don't see anything. So what we need to do is we need to do something. So let's do something. And that's the other approach to God. When Ishmael was born, it's interesting too, because it's Sarah's idea to, for Abraham to sleep with Hagar. Why don't you sleep with her and then we'll, the, that will be the, 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 the son of promise. And even Abraham said to God, well, why don't we just use him. And God says, no, I'm going to give you a son through Sarah. Right? And so, so what happens? Sarah says, why don't you, you sleep with Hagar? And sure enough, he did. And, and what does Sarah do? The minute that uh, Hagar has her son Ishmael, Sarah begins, she hates Ishmael and hates Hagar. 
was her idea. Paul is saying to, to uh, the Galatians, you were changed, you were saved, not by your efforts, but by God's grace. You're now children of God. The blessing didn't come because you did anything, and certainly you didn't, you didn't get the blessing by keeping the law. It came by the promise. It came by the promise. By faith you became a child of, of Abraham and Sarah, spiritually speaking. You were set free. But if you begin to follow the law, you become a child. You become a kid. You've been uh, you part of the Hagar. You're a descendant of Hagar, and you're a slave child. So, what does it mean for us? A couple things, and we'll close with this. Number one, God doesn't need your need your DIY efforts. Do it yourself, right? Have you seen those shows on TV? I, I can't, I can't, I can't see enough of those shows where they get an old dilapidated car, or they have this old beat-up house. It's basically should be condemned. They should get a bulldozer and and just level it. And all of a sudden they come in and they they redo everything and they re, they fix it up. They fix the kitchen, the bathrooms, or if it's a car, they they strip it down and they 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 put new metal on it and they they make it better than it was probably when it came off the assembly line. Can I just say this? God does not need your DIY efforts. That he doesn't need your help. You don't need because here's what you may have heard, or here's what you might think. You might think, okay, I know that God loves me, and I know that I need to come to Him, but I need to, I need to clean, I need to do a little DI work on my on my life. I need to clean my life up. I need to get rid of this. Maybe I should go to celebrate recovery, get my act together, and then I can come to Jesus, right? No, no, no. That's not what it's all about. You you don't you don't try to fix yourself and then come to God. Come to God. And you say, I'm a mess. I've been laying in a scrapyard. i got rooms that you don't even want to walk into and see. You come to God with all your garbage, with all your, your messed up. And you say, here I am, I'm a mess. And you give yourself to God. And God takes you and He begins to fix you, change you, remake you. Here, here it is. You know, the gospel says you come as you are, with and God, and God will be with you, and He will be within you to make you into His masterpiece. Uh, turn to Ephesians two eight through ten. This is page eight ninety six. Maybe one of the most important verses in in the New Testament. Maybe I'm saying that because they were really important in my life, so they must be important to you. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Notice what Paul says here. But the point I want you to see is that the Bible is clear that we are unable to help ourselves, that we are dead, that we are blind, that we are lost. And until Jesus comes and graciously rescues us, it's over. And it's not a matter of you trying to clean up or be good enough or put a bow on a pig. That's not going to fix the problem. And here's what... Here's what... uh, Paul says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. Salvation is not the reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about us. 
See, what I find is when you approach God, there's two ways to approach God. One way is that you say, I'll, I'll help God out. I'll fix, things, I'll fix my life. I'll do my part. And the minute you do that, and that's essentially what Paul was fighting against, was you believe, but you have to do your part. You believe plus something, right? And Paul's basically saying that's the wrong way to approach. That's through the slave child. That's through the old covenant. That's through the law. That's not going to save anyone. You need to come through the promise. You need to come through the, the woman who received the promise. You need to come through the son of promise. And that's by faith and faith only. And, but the point is, when you come to Him that way, notice what it says in verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things that He planned for us long ago. You know what that is? Makeover, right? Isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't that what it's, it's he's taking? He's taking the junk from the, from the scrapyard and he's, he's rolling it out and saying, okay, we're going to work on the wheel wells. We're going to work on the engine. We're going to rebuild the engine. Okay, we're going to do, redo the bath. We're going to redo, oh, the kitchen. Oh, ye, bleh. you know, it's got the old yellow and it's, let's rip it all out. Put new cabinets in. And that's what God is doing and wants to do in your life. So you don't fix yourself or you don't try to fix yourself up so that one day at heaven you say, I'm almost there, but not quite. You come as a mess and you say, as a building I'm condemned, as a car I'm in a scrapyard, but I come to you because you're the only one that can save me. And when you do that, you come through promise, you come through grace. Secondly, you become incredibly fruitful when you are in His hands. Uh, God, will, God will use you in incredible ways if you let Him. But here's the problem. I think, there's, there's, I think we, t- we take things into our own hands for a couple of reasons. Number one, sometimes we feel like we can't trust God. We know He loves us, but we feel like we kind of know a little better what we need than He does. Now think about how ridiculous that is, but most of us have thought that thought at one point or another. God, I know You're God, and I know You created me in Your image, and I know You know me before, the, before I was even born. You know, you know my every thought, but I kind of think I know better than what You think to do this. I think I have a better plan. So let, let me give you one quick example. Let's say you're lonely, and let's say you want to be married. And you're a follower of Jesus. You're a child of Abraham, right? Spiritual child of Abraham. You uh, call him Father because you call Jesus your Savior, right? And, but you're, you, want to, you want to spend your life with somebody. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But you go... <laughs> I know that your word says that we shouldn't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I know that. I know, I know that it says that if you, you're married and your, your husband or wife dies, you should marry, you can marry again, but only in the Lord, meaning a follower of Christ. I know that. So I know your general principle is that if you're a Christian, you don't have any right to date or to, and I say date because frankly, if you're dating, where's that leading? Right? Why would you go down a road that you know it's a dead end? Right? So, uh, you're not nodding with me, so that troubles me greatly. Um, but no, the Word of God's pretty clear that if you're a Christian, that you, you have, you, if you're looking for a husband or a wife, you should look in the realm of a follower of Jesus Christ, somebody who loves Jesus as much as you. More is better even sometimes. But the point is, 
you might say, I'm going to help God out. This person is so nice. And they're so kind. Do they love Jesus? Well, but they are nice and they're kind and they treat me decently. And and you help God along. You know what? I have talked to way too many people who are in relationships right now with people who do not love Jesus, who do not care about following Him, and they are worlds apart. And they say, I knew better than this, but I went down that road anyway. I tried to help God out, and it absolutely created disaster. By the way, uh, one of the reasons that it's not commented about in Genesis where it talks about Abraham sleeping with a slave woman and all the... It, it doesn't put an editorial comment in there because all you have to do is read the passage. Read the rest of the book of Genesis and you'll see the disaster it was. There was strife in the family. It was broken. It was just horrible. I mean, Isaac's hardly even... or uh, Ishmael's hardly even born and Sarah and Hagar at, at, at each other's throat. And that's mostly on Sarah. The point is, when you you, you, you say... I'm going to help God out because I really don't think He has my best interests. Or the other one is we just don't believe that we're, we're, we, do, we don't trust His timetable. Some of you know that God wants you to do, you know, live a certain way or do certain things. And, and it seems like God is taking forever. And you say, well, I just help Him out. I just speed things along. Don't do that. The problem that Abraham and Sarah had is they did not wait on God. And here's what I found in my own life, that when I try to help God out, it generally goes badly, either because I don't trust Him or I'm not willing to wait on Him. So two questions. We'll close with these. Number one, who are you trusting for your salvation? How are you trying to approach God? Are you trying to... To clean yourself up? Are you following the path of Ishmael and just saying, well, I'm going to manufacture this. I'm going to you know, work it out on my own. Or are you following the path of Isaac and, and, and Sarah and saying, it's, it's all of the promise. I just come as I am. I'm a mess, but I come as I am. And as I come in and give myself as I am to him, he will do an amazing work. And he'll make me into the masterpiece that he had intended in the first place. You know, the, the, the number one reason why you're not becoming the masterpiece that Jesus wants you to be is you. <laughs> you're grabbing the tools and the things out of his hands. You're saying, no, I'll do it. That's really what it comes down to. Here's the last question. What is it in your life that you've said to God, I got this. I got it. No, you don't. <laughs> you, you think you do, but you don't. You do not got it, and I know that's bad grammar. You really don't. You really don't. So may God help us to see that what Paul is saying to us today is there's really two ways of approaching God. There's the, the manufactured, I'll help God out way, or there's the way of saying, God, I'm just going to come to you and give myself to you, and you begin to do the work, and I'll just cooperate with your efforts. And I guarantee you, when you do that, you will become the masterpiece He intended. And God will do the DIY work in your life. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. And Father, I guess really 
I guess the prayer that I want to offer up is thank you for your grace. Thank you for the Gospel. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that it doesn't depend upon our efforts, but upon what Christ did. Father, um, you don't need us. We need you. And I pray that we would understand that and that we would yield ourselves to you so that you can maybe begin to do a work or continue on with the work that you started so that we can become the masterpiece that you designed before the foundation of the world. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.